Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and importantly some of your very own personal stories. I want to thank you for being part of Mike's Open Journal as guests, as visitors, as speakers, as listeners. Welcome to the world of mental health. And importantly, we're all in this together. So remember, you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. Dad came upstairs, and then I heard them say, like, it's happened, and I was like, what's happened? It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, okay, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast and to episode 118. I'm delighted to have you guys back and listening in to the podcast once again. How has your week been? I hope it's been good. I hope you've done something that's kind of made you feel good this week, something that's kind of lifted you up. I've, I've definitely felt this week that the kind of the winter is setting in. It's felt colder. It's definitely darker. I've noticed it's, it's dark at about 3.30 now, so... Um, definitely feel that kind of seasonal change happening. Um, I'm also looking forward to, I think in around sort of three or four weeks time, I'm going to be sitting down with Matt and Wes and we're going to be recording a mega cast all about kind of winter time, Christmas, some of those struggles that we might be having, particularly around kind of depression, uh, maybe seasonal affective disorder and how we might be affected at this time of year. Uh, but today I'm delighted to be joined by Noel and we're going to sit down and have a conversation around men's mental health. We're going to talk about kind of suicide prevention, uh, resilience, starting conversations, uh, potentially some triggers and kind of struggling points around alcohol and dependency and everything kind of linked into that. So it's going to be really interesting to again sit down with someone and have kind of a fixed topic, hear a little bit about um Noel's background as well but um I'd really be interested in hearing from you guys what you think about this topic and if you'd be interested to kind of hear us cover this again because as we started to have our conversation earlier 
it um, really felt like we started to touch on quite a few different topics. And I think there's definitely an opportunity for us to maybe go back and revisit particular areas. So if there's something that you in particular would like to hear us go back and cover, um, get in contact and let me know. And I'm sure we'll be able to kind of arrange that. We maybe can even feature your question or you might be able to pop on um, and ask that as well. So definitely get in contact. As always, you can contact me through the website which is mikesopenjournal.com or through the social media channels uh, which are the same as always. So I want to say to you guys thank you very much for downloading uh, and listening to this episode. Please do remember to subscribe on whatever channel you're listening to. Uh, it really makes a difference because it means that you are kind of automatically reminded <laughs> um, of the new episodes rather than just looking out for the ones that you happen to see. So Clicking subscribe really does help um, kind of like the podcast family grow uh, and help to make more people aware of the channel as well. So thank you very much. And I'm going to throw you guys straight in to our conversation. As always, all of the links are going to be in the description, but you can also listen out for those towards the end of the podcast. People don't usually actually ask me that and really want to hear an answer, but it's like it's a nice starting good point. Question. Yeah, yeah. So how has your day gone? My day's okay today. Um, I don't mean okay in a bad way. I mean in a good way. Mm. Um, it's been busy and productive um, and um, largely working from home today, um, which has been nice. I went out and saw some people this morning. Um, there's been some really um, amazing things that some of my clients have been doing. I've, I've just been really bowled over by them. Um, obviously I won't mention names or any identifiers but it's been one of those days where I just really had it shown to me how uh, remarkable we are as human beings um, and the sort of um, courage and strength that people have um, so it's been like that um, today and then I was at home doing a lot of boring admin stuff the stuff I avoid mm. uh, like the plague <laughs> to sort of, yeah I hate that I think I use it to sort of just whip myself I actually, actually should just get somebody to do it for me but uh, for some reason I hold on to it to just give myself a hard time but there you go mm. uh, but um, yes it's, it's been good so um, uh, it started off doing the stuff I love doing which is um, meeting my clients and um, and just admiring how good they do everything in comparison to me um, and then coming back home and I, I have to admit I had a bit of a nap as well I'm a great believer in naps during the day so if you can get those into your life that's a, a sort of free tip number one um, get naps into your life they're um, absolutely vital for sort of uh, mental health and well-being I think you know so not I think I know <laughs> I, yeah I think I I'm really interested because I think there was I don't know if it's about two years ago I remember there being a big push um for like napping for a really short period and it's like oh it improves your well-being and stuff like that and it disappeared so quickly and it's like there's obviously doesn't fit into like our kind of cultural working environment that I know but it's actually is neurologically it's brilliant for mm. you um, because when we nap and sleep, we literally all the trash and the garbage in our brain is um, evacuated. There's a there's a, a unique, if you like, lymphatic system in the brain, which is different to the body's lymphatic system, which starts to go to work when we nap or sleep. So it removes all the junk, um, literally all the toxins in our brain, oh. as well as creating memory consolidating learning i mean it's hugely important hugely important so um okay as a productivity aid yeah. it's um second to none actually oh wow so if you're on a training course for example my top tip 
is uh, make sure you get a break and go and have a nap. You will actually remember it a lot better because it's when we sleep that we learn. Oh. So the working memory is processed during sleep. So um, I thoroughly encourage everybody to have a nap. So I did one myself um, this afternoon and it helped oh. a lot. Yeah. That's cool. And that when you, when I guess this has been picky, when you say a nap, how long do you mean? Um, it would be 15 to 20 minutes. Max. Okay. You can do shorter. Yeah. Um, you could do five minutes. That's fine. It doesn't, it, there's no real rule about it. It's just give yourself some shut eye. You, you can get really good apps. And um, I, I had a newspaper ask me to review a new product the other day. I can't remember the name of it, so mm. I can't uh, place it. But it was um, designed specifically to encourage napping. And it had a really interesting thing in it in that the headphones you could lie on and sleep which i thought was a really good innovation because mm. a lot of products you can't lie on the headphones themselves it's yeah. all cool. um, but it, it had a um, an eye shade and you could link it to your phone and play um uh, good music or you could play um one of those relaxation apps or whatever you know so um it's i think it's beginning and they were selling this to the high-end market um executive types um, okay and so I think it's beginning in sort of work culture, certainly for those that are considered um, higher up in the organisation. Yeah. Um, really yeah, and those people that potentially, like, their job isn't necessarily a nine to five, like they are working later in the day as well, and it, managing their day and their sleep is maybe not the same as for everyone else. And if you're traveling a lot transatlantically and stuff like that, crossing time zones, mm. um, the issue of sleep becomes absolutely critical, in fact, um, or lack of sleep becomes critical. Mm. Um, and um, and uh, lack of sleep as well, I mean, it is directly linked. Not It's not just linked to uh, performance. It's also linked directly to mental health. Um, and... Um, uh, ultimately, death. I mean, it's sort of if you were deprived of sleep for a certain amount of time, um, uh, it would have um, sort of end of life consequences for you. Oh. Um, it is officially a form of torture. Um, so, you know, you're not officially allowed to um, remove um, the right to sleep from somebody if they're a prisoner, for example. Oh. Um, it's actually against the law because I've it's. Never, yeah, I've never thought of it quite like yeah. in that end and how that then applies to yeah, yeah. it's like... really important sleep i mean in terms of mental health um there's a sort of there's a, a vicious cycle that goes on with sleep that if, if say you're depressed you can find sleep very difficult and then because you're not sleeping you will get more depressed hmm. and it has a vicious cycle so often when you're treating things like depression or anxiety you will do with people something called sleep hygiene hmm. Um, which is teaching people good uh, bedtime habits, good sleeping habits, cutting out caffeine, um, lowering light levels at a certain time, yeah. not eating after a certain time, not doing uh, strenuous exercise, after, all that sort of stuff, um, so that people get into the ability to sleep. And it's quite remarkable how a good night's sleep improves just about every aspect of your functioning. Um, that's very true and I I sort of smirked a little bit when you said about the kind of the caffeine and the, I remember um, a couple of weeks ago I I never used to drink fizzy drinks but in the last year I've, I have become addicted to them 
and I noticed a couple, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and I'd um, been drinking Coke or Pepsi or whatever it was in in the, the sort of the evening, and I'd noticed it was a, I think it was something like ten o'clock, and I had like over half a glass left, and I was like, oh, I've already poured it now, so I finished it, and like just time passed, and I, I found myself at about. Um, half past one in the morning moving furniture around in one of the rooms and I was like this is probably because of the Pepsi isn't it yeah <laughs> and I, I just it's remember... a direct correlation or direct <laughs> consequential relationship yeah. yeah some things you've got to wait to see what happens and others it's pretty obvious straight away I, was, yeah. I remember pushing some of the units around the room sort of head sweating and I'm like Oh, it's gone 1.30 in the morning. I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, some things are, are more obvious, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it, it's, it's sort of, I think if you're an occasional user of caffeine, mm. that is, it's okay. But if you're a regular user after midday, yeah. it really will affect your sleep. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think people realise just how strong a drug it is, actually. Um, uh, that's why so many people drink it. <laughs> it's really yeah. addictive. Yeah, and it's finding the uh, right people that are prepared to sort of talk about the negative side of that and go, actually, yeah, yeah okay, it's okay if you want to do that, but just be aware. Yeah. Um, but what it does is it um, activates the adrenal glands. Um, so it activates the adrenaline system, which is the stress system in our body. It mm. literally stresses us. Um, and um, when we activate uh, adrenaline, we also activate things like cortisol, um, which again is another stress hormone. <laughs> so, um, we just we frame it as, oh, I'm enjoying this, but the body's going, oh, stop! <laughs> For God's sake, leave me alone! <laughs> Something's going to kill me. Um, Shall I have another one? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's it's funny stuff, isn't it? It's funny stuff that what we get involved in. I had yeah. someone talking earlier today about um, the like the, they, they were starting to talk about the psychology behind um, like alcohol and it being a depressant and actually the the way it's used in like a um, almost like we drink alcohol to be happy and he's like but naturally in terms of your body by drinking alcohol you're doing negative things and it is designed to make you feel lower. Um, and he said, if you if you're um, if you're sort of susceptible to depression or anxiety or generally sort of um, kind of low mood sort of thoughts or feelings, the like the added um, negative of alcohol and how quickly it can take effect. And it was really interesting that sort of mindset of how alcohol is not necessarily. Uh, at, through businesses as marketed but also just through like peers and social groups and society it's kind of pushed as that positive thing when in terms of like science is not my thing but in terms of uh, science and the body actually it's such a negative mm. it's interesting i mean thinking about sort of guys and attitude to drinking um, particularly in the uk mm. um and it's very common just Following on from what you say, that um, somebody might say, "Oh, I fancy a pint after work just to chill out a little bit," um, and it's somehow become associated with relaxation and downtime. Mm. Um, but you know, the studies show, for example, if you drink alcohol, it's going to disrupt your sleep, 
as just as much as if uh, you drink caffeine uh, in the evening. Um, it actually doesn't aid sleep. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that when people go on detox for alcohol, say people who have a very chronic problem with it, um, and they're going to a detox ward or something like that, rehab, um, the first thing that improves in their life is their sleeping. Um, oh. Unlike drug addicts who find getting into healthy sleeping pattern hard, alcoholics yeah. and to dry out and just then sort of go to sleep like little babies because the alcohol disrupts sleep so much. Um, it has lots of other sort of detrimental effects, alcohol. I mean, it's, it's sort of, um, I think the interesting is think about how people use it and so many people use it as a sort of form of medication. Yeah. It's interesting. And, of course, it's not medication at all. <laughs> it's a largely unregulated poison, um, um, which is – I'm going to say something maybe a bit that some people might find um, a bit off-putting or even strange, yeah. that, that there is no evidence that any level of alcohol is uh, healthy or safe. Mm. We have a public health program going on around it, and I think the thinking is if you tell people just don't drink – uh, they will switch off. So yeah. you have these nominal levels of alcohol per week, which is supposed to be okay. But actually, that's just harm minimization. If you stick to those levels, you you won't do any really serious damage to yourself, but you're still doing damage mm. to yourself. Um, and most people don't understand, for example, the link between um, uh, alcohol and cancer. So smoking is one of the highest reasons why people get cancer. Alcohol is the second highest. And it's taking over actually as a as a, a reason why um, we get cancer. Uh, it's t overtaking smoking as smoking rates have dropped. Um, so it's quite a significant in terms of mental health and guides. I mean, talking about alcohol is a good idea mm. uh, because there is a culture, I suppose, amongst men of drinking more and more heavily. Mm. That assumption being the body soaks it up or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I think, a lot of socialising in male culture can often be involving drink in one way or another. Um, and um, and I think that, you know, it, it's okay to drink every now and then, but not on a regular basis or not to excess. Mm. But I think it's problematic, actually, within sort of male culture. Um, if, if somebody decides to be healthy, how do they then fit into their ongoing social life? Um, it, it's something like young fathers, new fathers, for example, find difficult. Yeah, it's a now, real cultural shift for yourself, isn't it? And a, a change well, potentially almost, to the identity. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you become a new father, for example, and you are diligently uh, working at being with your child and your partner, if you're um, together or mm. co-parenting, um, that um, you then, I mean, anybody with a child will tell you that going waking up with a hangover is the worst thing you're ever going to do to you in the whole of your life with you've got a child around um, because it's unforgiving. So most parents will stop drinking um, just as a self-preservation thing. But for guys, I think that often means they lose out on um, a lot of their social network because um, they no longer fit into that culture. Um, and so that can have some um, quite significant consequences for guys in terms of because um, – uh, the link between um, physical health, mental health, and social network yeah. is direct. Mm. If you don't have a social network, it's going to make you ill.
both physically and in a psychological sense. Um, isolation is uh, a, a really uh, bad thing for a human. Um, so, for example, if you're in prison, um, uh, being sent to the isolation bits of it um, is, is a punishment. And it is a punishment mm. to be isolated. It actually is because we're fundamentally social animals. Um, and you, you mentioned identity. Identity is part of it in terms of how we form an identity in relationship to other people. But actually being isolated causes physical distress to us as well. We go into a distressed state. Mm. Um, and uh, it makes us feel, and, we, and again, we have this thing about stress hormones being re released in the body. And stress hormones, if they're released too much for too long a period of time, um, begin to degrade the body and psychological well-being. That's just what they do. Um, they're fine in short bursts when a saber-toothed tiger is trying to kill you. They come in very handy because you can run away really quickly or you can chop it up. Mm. Um, but if you're in that state of stress, um, for any length of time, that's not what those hormones are designed to do. And they literally begin to break down your body and begin to break down your mind. Isolation. There's a thing, um, I don't know if you know, you heard of this thing called the Glasgow effect? No, I don't think so. Okay, the Glasgow effect is this um, public health uh, phenomenon, and you can, you can Google it and have a look at it, um, where um, sort of... Um, you know, public health outcomes in Glasgow were worse than anywhere else. And there was also studies done around men in Glasgow, and they were finding that men in Glasgow were dying five to ten years before um, other men in the UK with okay. similar socioeconomic circumstances. Okay. So if they were looking at sort of some of the um, northern towns like um, Manchester and stuff where similar socioeconomic stuff going on. Yeah. Again, the, the men in those areas were doing better than the men in Glasgow. Um, and um, I, one of the common factors that was leading to wasn't so much the smoking or the bad diet and all those things that we know impacts upon sort of hard life outcomes. But uh, one of the big factors was that the guys that were dying were dying alone. They didn't have a network. Yeah. And and so it is clear that um, and there is no research evidence that backs this up that um, um, being isolated socially and not having a social network will reduce uh, the time you're on this planet. How much do you think that sort of the I don't want to say traditional, the that old fashioned, I guess, just view of. Um, like kind of suck it up, boys shouldn't cry, like we don't have emotions. Do you think that sort of feeds into that idea of, well, if I do experience this, either no, 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 I don't, or just I'm not going to tell anyone and you do keep it to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a complex process that goes on. So the first thing is that if you have any sort of feelings, difficult feelings in particular, but any feelings really, we are designed to share them with each other as human beings. Um, and in that sharing, what happens is certain uh, neurological processes take place in the brain, which reduce stress. So uh, when we um, talk and when we are physically touched by somebody or we look in their eyes, neurological um, processes take place in the frontal lobes where our personality is based. That reduces uh, that produces hormones which are reward chemicals, and that they simultaneously reduce any stress chemicals. Yeah. Uh, and we're physically designed to do that. And there's no difference between men and women 
physiologically, there is no difference whatsoever. Um, the big differences are um, um, cultural um, differences. Um, the physical differences between men and women are relatively small. Um, but in terms of these types of things, uh, we are exactly the same. We are just humans. And essentially, we are social animals. And we are designed to regulate socially. Uh, if you disrupt that social regulation in any way, you're going to have problems. That's it. Mm. Um, and um, uh, whether you're male, female, or you're transgender, or you're non-binary, doesn't matter. You've still got the same frontal lobes. Um, and if you are not exercising your frontal lobes properly, um, it will cause you a problem. That's it. Simple as that. Like if you sat on a couch doing nothing for 10 years, mm. wouldn't be around much longer than 10 years. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just simple biology. Um, so I think there's that thing to understand. The other thing is that um, if you don't regulate particularly the difficult emotional, stressful emotional states, the stress hormones build up in your body, um, leading to you behaving in antisocial ways. So um, emotional dysregulation, anger management issues, maybe trying to use alcohol to sort things out. Um, and alcohol has real significant problems on um, sort of socializing with people. Alcohol does things like it, it changes a bit of the brain that recognizes facial features um, so that you can mistake a smile for a snarl and end up in a fight. And people don't know these things, oh. but it, it does things. That's why there's so much violence involved in alcohol abuse um, because of these, it changes threat mechanisms, the threat recognition, recognition syndrome. So you have this build up of these toxic systems. You have more withdrawal because of that. You will tend to get uh, feel that it's um, bigger than it actually is because you're not sort of managing it on a day-to-day -day basis. So that right. so a lot of guys say this. I just can't talk about. It. I feel like it's going to be a big avalanche, and I'm, and you only have that feeling because. Um, because you're not regulating uh, on a day-to-day, -day, on a minute-by-minute -minute basis by sharing all the small stuff. So it just builds and builds and builds in your mind. Um, so, so there's all sorts of complicated processes like that going on that lead to greater and greater isolation mm. and greater and greater de-skilling in what are basic humans' um, survival mechanisms, such as social bonding. Um, and it's the lack of social bonding which is the problem. And it's creating social bonding, which is the solution, um, because that's what we need. Mm, I've, I've definitely. It's interesting you hear a sort of hearing you talk about it in that way, because I think I'm definitely thinking of times when I'm like, oh, I've, I've got to a point where I just feel very um, kind of low, but just generally very emotional and yeah. very much like everything's got too much. And then when someone kind of genuinely asks or gives me the time to sort of explore what's going on there'll be like a, a little trail of oh here are five or six things and they'll all be small little things that um kind of have had a, a low level impact on me but I needed to get those out before I could even really get to or approach the bigger thing at the end and I'm like sort of you yeah. rattle off this little list and then like oh okay that's that's fine and we talk a little bit about it, and then like and, and is there anything else and like Oh, yeah, actually. And then there's this massive thing at the end. <laughs> oh, this is probably what the issue was. And I didn't talk about this because I was worried about how it would be judged or whatever. So I left it there. And then everything else has sort of sat on top. And I've been in that mindset of don't mm. talk about it. So I haven't talked about the small things and it's all added up. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it's, that's how it feels. I mean, it is. It's partly how the brain works as well. So, um, uh, I mean, emotions are really can be reduced into two types: uh, emotions that say go away from something or avoid, or emotions that say go towards something or connect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, the, you know, the the reward emotions, the reward chemicals, feeling warm and connected with people, um, they, they make us feel really good and we feel safe with people. Um, and then the uh, negative um, stress emotions, essentially the stress hormones, um, tell us to avoid something. Um, what you're describing is a, is a process whereby the natural thing that we need to do around um, even small difficult feelings, which is just you know, share it with somebody yeah. and it disappears. Um, that builds up um, and becomes labelled as a stressful um, issue. Um, and um, it then feels very counterintuitive to somebody because they're getting a stress response to then go and talk about it. Because mm. literally they're getting a danger signal. Don't do that. It's yeah. dangerous because you've built up these danger signals inside your body. Um, and it is about the body. I mean, it's interesting the way we talk about psychology as though it's something that exists in a bit of our head or mm. something, um, when of course it doesn't. Um, you know, um, the biggest sense organ we've got, for example, is our skin. Now, our skin develops at exactly the same time in utero as the brain from the same matter. And it's directly connected through the central nervous system. So we're getting most of our sensory information through our skin, not through our eyes or ears or anything like that. You know, this sixth sense people talk about. Yes. That's all that, you know. Um, and um, so very literally, not even as a, a sort of metaphor, a nice image, a new age idea or anything. Um, literally, um, most of our brain, our mind, if you like, is elsewhere in our body, not inside our head. Like there's more, for example, there's more... Um, brain cells in the gut than there is in the, inside your head um, and gut health wow. is a, a hugely important part of mental health um, and um, mental health affects gut health and the other way around as well um, so understanding those things that you are a living total organism um, which comes to you know looking at what is good things to do in terms of ensuring um, good mental health as much as you can do Ooh. in life. Um, so one of them we've touched upon is um, get a good social network, um, get into the habit of what we call help-seeking behaviour. So what you were talking about there about avoiding talking about the small stuff. Yeah. Talk about the small stuff. Mostly the big stuff stops being big. Fact. Mm. It actually reduces in size. Um, so even the more insignificant things that you have in life, like you know you want to get a raise from your boss or um, your relationship is breaking up, all of that will reduce in size if you are constantly doing this, what I call weeding mm. in your emotional life. So you're in there weeding, pulling out the stuff that you don't need, um, and you'll be in a much better state for everything else. Um, and I think for a, in the old-fashioned version of maleness, that idea of just doing that everyday chit-chat mm. horrifies. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's exactly what you need to do. Yeah. Um, and in many male cultures, that's exactly what would happen. And there were lots of things that would allow you to do it. Um, you know, the, the sauna, the um, hanging out with your mates, doing various activities. Mm. And that was always there. Um, but I think it's in our culture in particular. Um, we reduce the opportunity for that. 
Um, so if you think about, you know, being in a loud pub, you're not really going to talk about um, some small thing that's been bothering you all day, are you? Yeah. It's not a conducive environment in which to do it. Yeah. And um, and then again, it just doesn't seem to be part of certainly the old-fashioned view of male culture. Although I have to say, I mean, with you know, I've seen huge changes. Like if I think about the young men I know who are in their twenties, they do all this stuff and they're not bothered. Do you know what I mean? They're they're pretty cool about talking about stuff. Mm. Much better than me. I'm, I mean, I'm an old fart these days. I'm 51. So um, I remember my dad telling me you shouldn't peel potatoes because that's what women do. And me looking at him going, hmm, I'm wondering how I'm going to have food if I don't cook it. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> else is going to peel these potatoes. You're going to have to start learning to like raw food. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to lose. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of male culture, things have changed quite mm. a lot. Um, and so this generation of young men are, are much better about it. Um, and in fact, certainly with young people as well, things like drinking and smoking are, have dropped off massively um, as the things are happening. Mm. Um, you know, those types of uh, activities are, are dropping off. Um, but there's still a lot of uh, guys who were brought up with the idea that you described, which is um, that talking about this stuff was somehow unmanly. Yeah. Um, and it's bizarre because, um, I mean, I don't, I'm not quite sure how we've got into this state because it's uh, absolutely not a natural state. Um, and in other cultures that aren't maybe as complex economically, it is very much the case that guys will be supporting each other. Mm. Uh, even physical contact rules. Yeah. You go abroad, it's you often see guys walking arm in arm or hand in hand, and it's got nothing to do with um, any sexuality choice mm. or anything like that. It's just they're, they're comfortable with each other, um, and they comfort each other. Um, there is something... Yeah, well, there's definitely a lot of that kind of... I don't know, um, kind of categorizing and, and cutting down and putting barriers up and um I remember reading something uh just a couple of weeks ago and it was on this line of yeah um men sort of oh, I can't think quite the framing it took but sort of uh men shouldn't or um shouldn't engage in conversations about mental health or men shouldn't really experience those feelings they should be able to get on with it their role is to yes to be the worker and, and the person that supports the family financially. and then there, But there was also something in there about women, and it was like, women generally should do this, this, and this. And they shouldn't engage in um, like masculine-type behaviour, e.g. sport. And I was like, how did we suddenly just say sport's a masculine thing? <laughs> it just, I, I was like, I can't even understand how you've made yeah. that assumption. And yeah. it is just that idea that we just, yeah, we'll stick a barrier or a category on that and keep that nicely knitted and it won't go outside yeah. of its boundaries and I think oh just yeah. what's the purpose for that and it's so limiting on like you said it just stops people being able to talk about anything essentially yes yes it also I mean it's not just a sort of I mean it's not just a um a preference thing it actually causes harm mm. um and I think um men in general can suffer much more harm from these stuff um, because of this uh, isolation stuff and yeah. because of the inability to clear out um, the toxic chemicals in the body. And that's what, on a physiological, on a physical level, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. When we 
when we share difficult feelings with somebody, what we're doing is we're cleansing the toxins out of our body, quite literally. That's what we're doing. Um, sport is really good for that, for example. I mean, you know, guys who engage in um, uh, sports, not as um, sort of audience, but uh, playing sports, mm. will be helping themselves enormously um, in terms of sort of mental health and physical health. Um, because, again, that has another way of clearing out all these stress hormones in our bodies. Um, and I keep talking about stress hormones because I think it's... Uh, if, any, if people take anything away from this, it's to understand that emotions are physical things that happen to us. They're physiological. Yeah. We can tend to construct a view of them as, as somehow they're not quite connected to us. They're things that happen to us almost outside of us or somewhere in our head. Yeah. I mean, but they don't. Emotions affect the whole body, and they either affect the whole body in a good way or in a bad way. It's very simple physically. And um, if you've got a lot of stress hormones in your body, it's going to degrade your body, uh, make it less effective, shorten your life on the planet and uh, mess up your mental health. Mm. It's really simple. Um, and I think when guys get to understand that, when I'm working with guys and get them to understand that essential point, it suddenly clicks and makes sense um, that... Um, because I think, you know, a lot of guys are um, into their bodies and mm. into their physicality. And understanding that this stuff isn't, um, you know, it isn't a, 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 um, something in the ether. It's something that's in physically in my body, the whole of it. Yeah. It affects my muscles. It affects my heart. It affects my liver and kidneys. And it literally does. Mm. So, for example, if you are highly stressed, um, what will happen is that your body will ret retain visceral fat. Now, visceral fat you can't see, but it's the fat that coats itself around all your internal organs. Mm -hmm. It's the one that kills you. Yeah. yeah. And you may not see it putting on your body, so you can have a nice lean body. Yeah. You can have a nice lean body, but if you have a lot of stress hormones, um, your body will react in a distressed way, and it will build up this visceral fat. Um, it's part of feast and famine, that sort of response. Um, and the visceral fat is the worst for you, and it will make you a bit paunchy. Mm. But it's often the fact you can't see. So I think, you know, when you have these very practical conversations with guys about this stuff, they begin to get it. Um, okay, so I'm actually, um, A, killing myself, uh, and B, um, heading for a problem with using because uh, I'm not regulating. Uh, okay, I get that. Yeah, and it's that yes. idea that it's somehow, like you said, uh, essentially more real, I guess, yes. in that, yeah, it isn't this, uh, like, uh, unmeasurable thing yes. that goes on in my brain. Um, and, uh, not even inside you. I think a lot of people conceive of emotions. A lot of guys mm. conceive of emotions as something outside of themselves, almost. Yeah. Um, and um, but I think when we get to understand that um, emotions are what the body do, and they're either good or bad in terms of what the body does, and just keep it very clear about that, um, and make a decision like you would make a decision in terms of I'm, am I going to eat that wholesome food or am I going to eat that food that I know might contribute to a heart attack? Mm. And the choices are just like that. They literally are just like that. Mm. Um, so am I going to keep myself in tune 
uh, emotionally and mentally. Am I going to clear out my brain of all the toxins by sleeping properly and making sure I don't take things that disrupt the sleep? Am I going to reduce the stress hormones in my body by uh, ensuring that my uh, frontal lobes are activated in a positive way by talking to people about problems and uh, getting eye contact from them, having physical contact from them, yeah. uh, which isn't about sex. These are very straightforward, simple things that you can do that will maintain your mental health um, and will reduce your risk of developing um, what are the major mental health problems that we face as human beings, which are anxiety and depression. Well, mm. Those two things are, are um, almost at epidemic levels in yeah. the UK. And the thing specifically for guys about that is this, that, you know, in terms of uh, mental health, uh, and actually when we talk about, often when we talk about mental illness, so let me give it the correct term, in terms of mental illness, one thing guys are better at is killing themselves. Yeah. It's a stark fact. Three quarters of suicides are men. Um, because what tends to happen is this process of building up and not, if you like, pruning, not gardening, not reducing the stress on a daily basis. Um, because we hold it inside, um, it grows inside us. That um, that process I talked about, that um, the small problems um, be, feel bigger and then mm. the big problems feel bigger. And then the really big problems feel enormous and insurmountable because you're not doing that everyday um, sort of clearing out. It's a bit like this. I mean, I, I don't know if you sort of know the idea of if you've got a backlog of work, um, it doesn't make any sense to try and clear the backlog and not deal with the new work coming in. What makes sense is to have a good system to deal with the new work coming in so it doesn't build up and then get round to the backlog um, in, in the time that you can. Mm. Uh, and, and so that you don't have things building up and building up and building up. Um, when we see a huge mountain climb, we are demotivated. Um, so if you have these everyday systems in place, um, you can get to the problems another time. But coming back to um, this, the link between um, this behaviour and guys um, killing themselves through suicide and are being very effective at it, mm. um, and um, it is that, that process of building up so that then we perceive that something is bigger than it actually is because the hormonal, stress hormonal response is inflated. And that's what we're talking about. Physiologically, your body reacts to something that could be quite small as though it's big and dangerous, okay? Yeah. Um, and because we're not doing the everyday mental well-being stuff, um, the particularly the cortisol is in our musculature, it's not being burnt off, it's not being used, so it's constantly being topped up um, to the point where things feel completely insurmountable and then a very logic, it seems very logical then um, to end it all in a very final way. And you, you know the idea that people commit suicide not because they want to die but they just want to kill off their life. I, I think it's also, like you kind of touched on there, is, is that idea of um, not that every situation is, is preventable, but um, actually there will have been a stage in everyone's journey when um, there could have been a conversation, there could have been a, a longer conversation, or um, I just, I'm always left with that thought of 
um, there will have been times when actually just sitting down and listening to this person would have made a huge difference by having that, like you said earlier, that conversation about the smaller things. Yeah. Would um, you wouldn't have then been in a situation where you've gone like. Right, it's now quite a big thing and I'm really worried about sitting down and talking about it because yeah. you'll have already got used to sitting down and talking. You'll be midway through a conversation. You think, oh, there is this other thing, but exactly. I'm used to talking, so it's okay. That's exactly, um, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And also, because, and, and, and again, the evidence is with this. If you have a good social network where you are engaging on this level, um, you are much less likely to do anything disastrous. Um, because you will have talked to people, but also you'd have got practical support and advice. Mm. Um, and it's extraordinary how much um, good knowledge that people have around things. And um, but what my clients, what patients always say to me is, as soon as they begin to open up about their struggles, so without fail, I have not in 25, 30 years of practice, um, I've not had somebody say anything different. But as soon as they begin to talk to people about the mental health problems they have or the emotional problems they're having, the feedback they get is, oh, yes, I've had that, mm. almost instantaneously. And they will find suddenly people open up about um, their own lives. And all the isolation that that person has felt for however long just disappears overnight because they suddenly find that people are just going, yeah, I'm like that. Yes, I've had that. That happened to me too. That's true of me. And they always come back to the next session after they've had the courage to open up in this way. They always come back, you know, in floods of tears going, I didn't realise that, you know, I thought it was just me. And it never is just me. It's never just me. It's always, always all of us. And that's something really deeply to learn, I think. There's also kind of tied into that, I think, having that, um, that experience of, I think, not everyone but most of us could go yeah I know lots of people are affected by this I know lots of people will have experienced this but there's no um like connection with that whereas like you say when you have that that story or that conversation and someone says actually no I've experienced part of that or something like that or or you I I don't understand what you're talking about Mm. that is so different to going oh yeah I know just just in general across the population, yeah, I'm sure other people have felt low or distressed about something. Um, but actually having that connection and having a real person, essentially, sort of feed that back to you and engage in that conversation, I think is yeah. just so wildly different from yeah. going, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, one in four or one in three people are affected. Yeah, yeah I'm sure in my class or in my workplace or... Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah, in general. It's usually the person you least suspected. <laughs> it's, really interesting. It's, it's the person that makes you go, I'd have never thought. Because what you find is that people who've got successful strategies around uh, mental health issues are very successful in life. Mm. They really are. And um, so that's what surprises people. They go and have a conversation and it might be their boss or a teacher or yeah. a a successful person in some field that, that, that they know who turns around and said, yeah, yeah, I had this period of depression and I did this, this and this um, and I've managed it ever since. And you just go, wow, you, mm. you had it. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that because the reality is this. This is the fundamental reality about this. The, the treatment for this stuff 
is effectively um, to do what we are designed to do naturally as human beings, to do the thing that makes us successful as human beings. It literally is. That's what the treatment is. You may need special help to get into that, but actually what it's doing is if you look at, say, cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, mm. um, if somebody's depressed, they may stop going out. So guess what the treatment is? Diarise for them to go out. And they disconnect from people. So guess what the treatment is? Go and join groups, yeah. phone people, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when you're doing these things, you're just naturally going to become successful at life. Because here's another fundamental fact. We are such social animals that there is nothing that happens in the human sphere on this planet that doesn't involve complex social interactions. Mm. So if you pick up a, a phone, for example, or like, a, a smartphone, an iPhone, or whatever, um, and you have a look at it, you might think that's technology. It's not. That's really, really complex series of um, human relationships that have created that. Mm. That's why we dominate the planet, because we have this ability to create incredibly complex social structures, which allows us to do things like build iPhones. Mm. That's it. So to be successful at that level is just simply to have these really, really highly complex social skills. And the more evolved they are in a human being, and the more successful they're likely to be. And guess what? Because it's a, a successful survival strategy, um, Mother Nature uh, values it really highly. So when we do these activities, we get masses of reward chemicals in our brains and in our bodies. And these massive reward chemicals do all sorts of wonderful things to us, like make us feel awesome, um, reduce the risk of depression and anxiety and suicidality, make our bodies function better. So we act, actually not just feel better, but are doing things that improves our cardiovascular system, mm. et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's a huge number of benefits from doing this stuff. And the reason why they are rewarded is because that's pre precisely what makes us really successful. So when you're doing this stuff, and again, I think it's a, a point to try and get across to guys that they are disabling themselves in every sphere of their life if they're not doing this stuff. It's not just about uh, mental health oh. and mental illness. It's about success on the planet. Um, and if you want to be successful, go and do a course in cognitive behavioural therapy. Learn all the tools. <laughs> <laughs> it's taught you how to be a good social person, I'm telling you. I think uh, there is, um, for me, there's always that side of um, someone saying, oh, I, you sort of say I should go and talk and be open. And, uh, and I, I did that. I tried and it didn't work for me. Um, and I hear this a lot around, particularly sort of at work around advising people to go and see their GP and they're like, oh, I've been and it wasn't a good interaction. And yeah. I think there's always that mindset of like, oh, I've tried it once that didn't work. It's like, no, that just maybe wasn't the right time for you or it wasn't the right person. That doesn't mean that wasn't what you needed to do. You, you, you need to have that conversation. But for yeah. whatever reason, that person, that location, that time, just that didn't work. You need to try again, but That's right. try something else. We have a term for it. We call it help-seeking behaviour. Um, you know, um, uh, as one of the core skills of life, developing help-seeking behaviour is absolutely in there. And uh, the point about help-seeking behaviour is you should do it forever mm. um, until you get the help you need and then keep doing it. Mm. So I, I used to work in social services um, a while back. 
and I worked in um, children's services, so doing child protection and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it's the unfortunate truth that you can't, and parents know this, and we know this professionally, you can't actually protect children from the fact that shitty things happen in life. Yeah. What you can teach them, though, is this thing. Go and ask for help if you feel uncomfortable about something. That's the most protective thing they're ever going to do, do you understand? Yeah. Because we can't put surveillance cameras in on the whole of the population, and no matter how good our um, multi-action protection plans are, yeah. people slip through there. But if you teach a child to go and get help, they are then uh, you've given them the best tool ever to protect themselves yeah yeah um until they grow up you know now that rule in life is the same no matter what age you are it's not just children yeah. it's all of us but the whole of our life around everything we do if we learn to seek help regularly whether we think we need it or not is irrelevant if we do that our life out outcomes are, are going to improve without a doubt. And there's plenty of evidence for it. Mm. So it's not about whether you've got the help or not. You will eventually get the help. But it's also about um, maintaining that behavior um, of asking for help and asking for help and asking for help and always asking for help. Because, again, that, uh, that produces stuff physiologically, which is very positive for us. It's extraordinarily positive. We get a lot of reward chemicals from that. I want to come back on the GP thing and mm. going to see your GP. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that we are very lucky in the UK. We've got um, a GP service, which is free and mm. it's very comprehensive. Um, and uh, it, it's fantastic, you know. Um, and I think often GPs, I, I know, I don't think I know. I talk to them a lot. <laughs> sort of stuck when people come in with these issues around anxiety and depression and thinking, well, you know, what can I do? There is stuff you can do and they can refer you into a thing called IAPT. Hmm. I don't know if you know about IAPT. Um, I've heard, yeah, I've heard. I've... It's a national service. It's very successful. National service, that's free. Um, if, you, if people want to know about it, they can just Google the word IAPT, I-A-P-T, and then put their local authority at the end of that on Google. And it'll take them straight to the relevant website. Um, free service, primary care, so you can refer yourself in. You don't need your GP. There's a, usually a phone number on the website that you'll find. Um, and really good psychological therapies. So that's available. And then the GP has um, sort of pills to offer you. Um, but they're often quite frustrated in that there's a, a limited range of stuff. Except now, which is the most exciting development um, that we've got, um, which is called social prescribing. Have you come across that yet? I've heard of it, but it's I fantastic. I have to admit, I've not heard of many people that have kind of engaged with that. It's only just beginning, and um, it's rolling out. Um, and um, if I tell you, for example, and I'll sort of do a bit of personal disclosure, if that's okay. Mm, sure. Um, so I, I long... I mean, I had long term, long time ago, lots of sort of mental health problems around anxiety and depression and stuff like that. I've been pretty stable in it for over a decade now. Um, and um, and then I had a little bit of bait of it about three or four months ago. And because I trained myself into doing it, I knocked it on the head hmm. uh, pretty quickly. Um, and then I got to hear about this. But one of the things that happened with my GP um, was that they gave me a pass to the gym instead of tablets. Mm. Isn't that amazing? This is interesting. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So I got a free pass to my local gym for a year, 
Um, and that was some time ago um, when I had needed some other help. Um, so that was like 10 years ago. And I'm still a member of the gym, right? Yeah. And it was one year. But social prescribing, that's what it is. And it's prescribing activities like going and joining a walking group and your GP pays for it. Yeah, I've had people before that have joined um, local groups. They haven't. It's not been around kind of like the gym membership side. It's the stuff I've heard of before has been pushing towards like local charities or community groups and um, yeah. stuff that's free to access anyway. But they've been sort of actually look. Here's a list of kind of services or groups or activities. Yeah. What do you think about kind of being involved in some of those? Um, the point about them is that psychologically those things work so for example altruism mm. there's a massive uh, amount of evidence around how altruism improves my life if i'm altruistic uh, it will improve my mental well-being it's unassailable level of evidence to prove that um, and so volunteering is um, to people who are less well off than you mm. is uh, is more effective um, than medication, to be honest. Uh, medication is good. I don't put medication down. I use it myself. I'm yeah. a great believer in it. It's fine, you know, as a combination of stuff. But you know, going and being altruistic, helping people out, um, being nice to people really helps with your own mental well-being, particularly if um, the person, you can't get anything out of it. Yeah. So there's no transaction involved. Yeah. It simply is you giving some generosity. So a good example, for example, mm. is being very nice to the bus driver. Yeah? You're not yeah. going to get anything out of that. But actually, I mean, it's in terms of nobody's going to tell you how wonderful you are. Nobody's going to know about it or anything mm. like that. But actually, what the evidence shows is that that makes you feel really good about yourself. Now, remember that this thing of making you feel really good about yourself is your body having a chemical hormonal reaction, um, so these reward chemicals, which improve your physical functioning and improve your mental functioning. It's the mental health equivalent of, say, um, going for a quick run on the in the gym. Hmm. Do you understand? Yeah, it is. Do you understand it in those terms? It's really straightforward terms like that. And I think it is sometimes that type of trying to be able to draw stuff down to a... I guess like a simple analogy or a simple terminology of, um, like you said earlier, with some of the, the um, different things that are going on in the body and you're like, if you're engaging someone in a conversation for the first time, yeah. actually how much more, um, how much more did I understand it because of the way you spoke about it the first time you were telling me and you were telling me in a very different way to the way I've, I've heard that sort of stuff spoken about before. Yeah. Um, and it might be because I have heard it before but mm. I actually understood it the first time you spoke about it rather than other times I've had to kind of go away and really think about it again. Uh, yeah, okay, I kind of, yeah, yeah. I kind of get it. Um, but I think we do mystify mental health and mental illness, and, and it's not. It's very, it's pretty much straightforward. I think what happens is the, um, I, and I understand why this happens, I'm not criticising this, but the mental illness conversation often gets hijacked by, um, um, the issues where people have severe and enduring mental health mm. problems. Uh, and that's absolutely cool because that's not funded properly and people need to keep that on the radar and get the money going into services. Yeah. Um, but that's a relatively small part mm. of uh, mental illness. The vast majority of mental illness 
is the type of stuff we're talking about here, which is what we call anxiety and depression. And it may manifest in various ways with people. Usually the way it manifests is not so much the uh, the, the classic symptoms will be there, but, but really the way it manifests is your life is a mess. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You look and at it, it's a mess. I think uh, even when we look at the... Um, I don't like calling them more like the because I always think when you sort of say the severe and enduring, which I've seen actually, funnily enough, written down quite a lot in the last week, and it's 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 starting to get to me a little bit because I'm like, how like depression kills people? How can anything be more serious than this? (laughs) I agree with you, absolutely. Um, I understand what they're trying to say and what they are saying. Um, but yeah, I think I've just I've read it enough times over the last week or so that it started to get to me, and it's that little language thing in my head is going, no, that's, that's you, they can't say that. Why do they say that? Um, no, I agree with you. Of that um, idea that actually someone that suffers with something that let's say severe and enduring um, will likely have um, uh, elements or symptoms of depression and anxiety as part of their illness, um, yes. and by actually having, like we've said for the last hour or so having those conversations earlier on, being happy to, to unload yeah. a little bit and talk about something that isn't big, just the fact that maybe today you feel a little bit low, maybe the fact that, you know, especially now it's coming towards wintry time and it's darker earlier and you maybe need to, when you go into the office, turn on your light straight away. Um, it's, it's being mindful the way to of think that. about it, I think. This is the way I think about hmm. it. Um, because I've sort of had this stuff you know, in my life and I've dealt with it and I've got strategies for me and sometimes I share the strategies that work for me. So I think about it as the brushing your teeth approach to mental wellness. Okay. Most people understand that you're brushing your teeth so that somewhere down the line um, they don't get rotten and fall out so that you still have teeth mm-hmm. later on. So you this maintenance job most people don't have, I think, a big deal about brushing their teeth. They just get up in the morning, brush their teeth, not really thinking about it, get it done. At night, you go to bed, you brush your teeth. You're not really thinking about it. It's just a, a, an activity that is a normal, everyday activity, part of your life. But the end result is that you'll have healthier teeth, right? Yeah. Um, mental health is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And I think the when we get people into just everyday brushing teeth activities around their mental well-being, um, it stops being a big issue. Now, mm. connecting it to the other issue that you just brought up, about the terminology and the way we split and distinct and the way we, we might minimise um, what's actually going on for people who have anxiety and depression long term. Yeah. I certainly don't minimise it. It's, um, it's life-destroying. As somebody who used to have it very severely and now doesn't really suffer from it. What I would say is that um, anxiety and depression are pretty straightforward to deal with for the vast majority of us. Mm. And that's the distinction I make. There are certain types of mental illnesses which are more complicated to deal Mm. with. And they would be the things like rapid cycling, bipolar, or psychotic illness and stuff like that. They're just more complicated to deal with. And they need much more of a professional input to guide and also more structured and thought through and planned services yeah that does make sense i like that that's 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 yeah i like that that's (laughs) 
if you can narrow that down to a couple of words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just a sort of level of intervention, the level of organisation around that intervention is different. Whereas things like anxiety and depression, general anxiety disorder, uh, even major depressive disorder, these we know so much about. And these sort of services that exist for it um, are so effective that when you teach people the skills of mental wellness, um, they need never really be worried about uh, anxiety or depression again. Now, I speak as not just a professional, but as a, a human being who's in the past suffered uh, horrendously from that stuff, you know, to the point where I, on a daily basis, would have suicidal ideation. But that doesn't happen to me anymore. And even with my most recent episode, it's relatively mild and short-lived and I know exactly what to do. And it's also, it's not so severe because I've done the mental wellness for the 10 years before that. So that comes back to the point you make about, you know, you can't stop life from doing shitty things. Mm. That's the truth. But what you can do is minimise the impact of those shitty things on yourself. That's a guarantee. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's not accidental. That's not a flip of the coin. But if you do this mental wellness stuff, when and if shitty things happen to you, the impact on you will be vastly reduced yeah. and your ability to be resilient to it vastly increased. Mm. Yeah? yeah. And from a psychological perspective, resilience, which is resilience is the superpower that you need to deal with mental health problems, right? Mm. Resilience is the superpower that you need to deal with life's troubles and problems and any of the stresses of life. You, If you whip out your, your um, resilience when stuff is going bad, then you'll be fine. Do you know what I mean? It's a a magic superpower. Now, resilience literally is this, from a psychological perspective, the range and the quality of the social networks around you. That's it. Yeah? Oh, wow. I was expecting a longer... (laughs) Okay. That's it. If you've got a broad range, good quality, diverse group of... Uh, network of relationships around you, you're resilient. Mm. And no matter what life throws at you, you're going to deal with it, guaranteed. Now, coming back to the more complicated mental illness problems, everything I've said about these is true of that as well. Okay? Mm -hmm. So the person with the more complicated mental health problems, the psychosis, etc., if they engage in this mental wellness stuff, their severity of the psychosis will reduce. The add-on issues such as anxiety, depression, social isolation that often come with these uh, mental health, uh, mental illness issues reduce. Um, the ability to deal with any relapse in um, the illness, you know, having a new psychotic episode, uh, the ability to deal with that, the resilience increases. So um, the person will seek help sooner. The um, psychotic episode will be shorter, of less intensity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. So these rules, which are the rules of living a healthy, uh, well-being, mentally healthy life, work for everybody. I think that's probably the the most interesting thing in terms of kind of all of the different points we've touched on is yeah. that from from what you've spoken about, it isn't about if, if your mental health is struggling and you feel like you're affected with an illness, you should do this. Actually, this is something that we all should be doing more of. We all should be being a little bit more mindful and making time for some sort of 
um, wellness activity um, and having those conversations and, and not worrying about, oh, it needs to get to a certain point before we, we raise this topic. Yeah. Actually, yeah, let's let's start talking now. Even if it's a case of we start a conversation and we say, okay, maybe we haven't got enough time or enough information, we come yeah. back to this, we'll make some time and we'll, we'll come back and have another chat tomorrow or in a week's time or whatever. So. Exactly. I mean, who on this planet waits to start brushing their teeth once they've started falling out? Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, do you? Yeah. You do the prevention and then they don't fall out, yeah. hopefully. It's exactly the same in mental wellness. And I think it might be useful just at this point, because I think we are coming towards the end, aren't we? On yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just break down in very straightforward terms what mental wellness activities are, okay. what it looks like in terms of your life. So good sleep hygiene. Um, reducing toxins going into your body, such as alcohol, uh, drugs, caffeine, etc. Uh, so that's obvious. Reduce it to the point to zero if you can. Um, having a good social network, um, diverse, healthy um, social network, which is um, diverse in every sense. So it's not just centered around one activity, such as a football team or going to the pub you know there's lots of different activities involved um so it's challenging your frontal lobes to grow and your relationship skills to grow mm. that's the equivalent of going to the gym for your mind so you go to the gym on a regular basis you stay fit if you keep your social network di- um, diverse you stay fit mentally mm-hmm. uh, so um you do that um uh, eating well and regularly um, so um, looking at gut health as well so you can get probiotics are great so i would suggest them but you know look after your guts it's going to look after your mental health um, exercise um, regularly exercise not too much three or four times a week for 20 minutes um, and it, it needn't be extreme exercise just to, you know it can be a brisk walk as long as it raises your heartbeat mm. exercise outside even exercise outside walking in the park uh, walking up a hill is one of the best things you're ever going to do to be honest in terms of your physical health and your mental health um so get outside and do things talk to friends a lot talk to them whether you need to or not just always stay in touch with them and you don't even need to talk i mean i think things like text messages uh, liking on Facebook, all that sort of stuff. Bear these people in mind, yeah. um, the people that you care about and who care about you. Because guess what? When you bring these loving relationships to your mind, what do you feel? Love. Mm-hmm. It's one of the strongest health hormones around. We call it oxytocin, if you want to know. Um, and you start doing that. Look in people's eyes. Have hugs from people on a regular basis. Talk to people on a regular basis. Uh, I think that's it. That's good. That's a really nice roundup as well. Save me a do it. <laughs> 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 um, if uh, if people want, <laughs> that's a really good one. Don't say comedy. You know, whenever I'm feeling stressed out, the first thing I do is go and check out all the comedy shows oh, on Netflix. It... Um, I know Netflix gets a bad name with binging for mental health <laughs> problems, but it's fantastic. There's loads of really good things that make you laugh. The yeah, more you laugh, and I think that's the. Oh, you start another conversation. That's the that's the user that's the user experience. They're not saying you have to watch everything that's on there. So, um, <laughs> and I can't tell you how aggravated I am when they suddenly release a series and just do an episode a week. I'm like, this is not how you do things, Netflix. 
I've got used to that it's now available a whole season. Um, so yes, if if people do want to find out a little bit more about you know or some of the stuff that you're doing, um, yeah. where can they go to find that out? Just check out my website. It's www.noelmcdermott.net. And um, my name, I presume you'll put um, a link to my name yes. or something. On, yeah. Yeah, all in there. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for, for coming on and for sharing yeah. your knowledge and sharing some of your personal experiences as well. It's been um, really interesting and actually enlightening for me to hear some of that stuff as well. So it's been really, um, really enjoyable. Thank you very much. All right. You take care. No worries. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. Dad came upstairs, and then I heard them say, like, it's happened. And I was like, what's happened? It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, OK, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.